Hello and welcome to Fatal Femmes, a podcast surrounding the women of mystery. Each episode will focus on a mystery, suspense, or thriller written by or made famous by a female-identifying artist. We're your hosts, Laura Celeste and Lacey Kenny-Gonzalez. Stay tuned. In this episode, we look at the 2002 film, He Loves Me, He Loves You Not, or A La Folie Pas Du Tout, directed by Letitia Columbany and starring Audrey Tattoo, Samuel Abion, and Isabel Carr. Trigger warnings for this episode include stalking, suicide, pregnancy loss, and erotomania. To get us started, here is a synopsis. A young woman who is in love with a married doctor becomes dangerous when her attempts to persuade him to leave his wife are unsuccessful. However, when things are seen from his point of view, the real situation becomes clear. We do want to caution you that this episode is full of spoilers. We get in-depth on every aspect of the plot, so if you care about that, Go and watch the movie and come back. We'll be waiting. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode. I'm finally back. You have a voice again. I know. I don't sound like a crumbling, dying, sad person. I have a full, rich, emotional voice. You do. And I'm ready to use it to talk about this film. So you suggested this as as often you do for our podcast. So how did you find out about this film in particular? Well, it was another one of my work discoveries. While shelving DVDs, I happened to see this, and I love Audrey Tattoo, as most women of the Amelie period... The Amelie era. <laughs> ...do. And I just picked it up, and I was like, oh, this looks cool. And I, if any of y'all have listened to the episode on Diabliques, I talked about how French film had come into my life a lot at that point. And this was when I also watched this one. I've been holding on to it for a little while, and you just watched it a week or two ago? Yeah, I've watched it twice in a week. My husband has also joined me for those viewings both times, which Laura will know is quite rare because he is... Normally, if we're trying to find something for the podcast or we're doing research, normally it's her and I, and that's it. He happened to be with me when I watched this for the first time. Lost his mind, thought it was the coolest thing ever, just completely invested. He wasn't on his phone at all, just watching it. And then he actually watched it again with us and loved it again. So I think that speaks volumes about this film is it captured Carl's attention. Yeah, because he's usually telling me how stupid my movie choices are. I would not go that far. Normally, you guys just have very different tastes. We come together on a lot of things. Yeah, I would say if more art space things, which often film is art, but there is a certain quality I think that the two of you agree on. But then the similarities kind of die there. He's a little bit more mainstream in his choices than I am sometimes. Mainstream or Latinx. It's, he's he's very big and he's also challenged us to find more artists of color to cover and more works that feature people of color in our podcast. I think we just, it's all about broadening and expanding horizons. Whereas I will bring you all this thing that I was like, this was shot in 12 hours on five different cameras and there's no storyline. Isn't it amazing? And Carl's like, I'm going to play Yu-Gi-Oh on my phone because there's a Yu-Gi-Oh card game. If you didn't know, that's what he's doing. Okay. He's always playing that card game. <laughs> All right. Well, back to it. Oh, did I digress already? Wow. Already. So one thing that I really liked about this movie is that it not only is it directed by a woman, it's also written by women. Letitia Columbany. And Caroline Thibault. 
this was actually the director's first movie, which watching it is amazing to me because it is so well done. I never would have guessed that this was a first movie. I love that. It's so original to have been done, what is it now, probably 16 years ago? It was made in 2002. Yes. So 16 years ago and to hold up, I haven't seen any movie really, and maybe I just haven't been looking in the right places, but I really haven't seen a movie that kind of follows this format. It's very original. There's a quote that I'd like to read. Audrey Tattoo said that working with the director, she found her very precise and she knew exactly what she wanted. Even though she's very young, she managed to control the whole production. She knew her subject, the strange kind of madness, very well because she had studied it for a long time. That's really cool. Something I love and that I'm dissecting from that comment is she's a filmmaker, but she also had a passion for the subject matter that she was working with. A lot of times when that comes together, you have such a clear vision. I love the way that Audrey Tattoo is saying it's she had what she wanted, she knew exactly what she wanted, and she knew to, how to get it. So I think that's really cool coming in, having a passion for filmmaking, but also having a passion for the subject matter. I also really love the title, He Loves Me, He Loves Me Not, which I think most people know is the, the flower game. Like, yeah, what girls did in, in like the 50s. Oh, does he love me? Does he love me not? You pull the petals off the flower and whichever one is left at the end. That tells your future. Yeah. Um, or predicts if, your fate. If it's a he loves me petal, then he loves you. And if it's not, then he doesn't. I'd like to state for the record, this is wildly inaccurate. It does not work because if it did, um, there were a lot of boys growing up that were in love with me. And uh, I probably wouldn't have been single for so long. They were just too scared <laughs> to say anything. They were just too into... What was the one thing in um, the Rebecca episode we were talking about? The woman she was traveling with said that, oh, he must be in love with me. So, yeah, everyone's just in love with me and they're just hiding from me. So it's a hard life to deal with. But, you know, I just can't help that I'm so lovable yeah nobody's scared of you no one's scared of, i'm not intimidating i'm not scary i'm just lovable violently so yes. <laughs> violently nice a violently nice girl she was also the director was also an actress she has 15 credits as an actress and six credits as a director only two of those are features though so, so she hasn't done much since you right that's kind of a shame i think she had a really good eye for what she wanted and I think to be a debut film this is incredibly impressive so let's go ahead and we will jump right into the movie yeah let's go the first thing that I love about this is how from the very beginning you are set up to think that this is a romantic comedy everything uh, about it the DVD box has a picture of Audrey Tattoo's face and she's smiling and there's roses all over it and the first shot of the movie is her looking through all these roses and there's this happy music and she picks out a single rose and takes it up to the counter and says that she wants to have it delivered that it's the anniversary of their meeting everything is just goodness and happiness and love yeah and the guy behind the counter basically like uh ma'am we don't deliver one single stem rose and she uses the Audrey tattoo charm, or in this film, her name is Angelique. So she uses the Angelique charm, begs the very nice man behind the counter to send the rose, which he begrudgingly does. I love the shot when they come out, when she comes out of the flower shop, because she walks out, I believe, and then the delivery driver walks out. And they go to opposite sides of, this, of the door, Audrey tattooed to her bike pointing one way, 
the delivery guy to his moped pointing the other way. And they take off at almost the exact same time. So it's just this beautiful kind of synchronized exit, which is awesome when we go back later to see everything from his point of view. It's, it's from like that moment. they diverge from that moment. Well, and what it kind of reminded me of, and if anyone's done the new Black Mirror episode, which is, what is it called? Bandersnatch. Bandersnatch. If anyone's done that, this is kind of, it's kind of reminded me of that because it feels very choose your own adventure as you go on in the film. Because at first we're going to see her perspective. So we've chosen the Angelique road. So we see everything from her perspective and we don't see what happens to the Rose. So that's what happens. So we follow Angelique. She's riding her bike through the city of Paris. Is she in Paris? France? They're somewhere in France. I, don't... Well, I mean, she's in France. I just Is she in Paris? France? No, Lacey. <laughs> Paris, Texas. We follow her on her journey to school. And that is when we find out she's an art student and a very gifted one. She has won a very prestigious scholarship. But also, you notice while she's in this art class, because that's where she's biking off to and she runs in in quite a hurry. But you notice that her drawing looks much different from everyone else and looks much different than the model they have provided for her to draw. She said it doesn't matter as long as he's handsome, right? Isn't he handsome? And the teacher says, you need to start over. So we see right away that she has a problem with following the rules. She likes to do her own thing. Especially her response to being told that is to just take her, I think they're working with charcoal, to take the charcoal and just to draw this cartoonish afro on him to resemble the model, because the model has curly hair, so she just kind of draws like this very scribbly scrabbly cartoon hair on him and a beard and basically ruins the whole thing or improves it if you like that kind of stuff from that moment i don't know if we had seen her intended yet her love yet it doesn't look like the model so i immediately was like okay she is just in love and infatuated so she's drawing her her sweetheart which gives us back to this romantic comedy feel. And it's all very light and airy and very sweet, and you just love her. She's adorable because she's on her tattoo. And during the opening credits, there's this scene where she's looking in this display window, and it looks like a Valentine's Day exploded in there because it's just hearts and red and pink. And This movie actually premiered on Valentine's Day. Did you know that? That's perfect. Yeah, it literally came out on Valentine's Day. Cause, and I love the fact that there are hearts everywhere because you literally feel them just like coming out of her face and then to be surrounded by hearts I'm like this is some real this has given us very visual cues on what we are supposed to be knowing at this point and so like you said we find out from her art teacher that she has won this exhibit she's going to get it's a scholarship I thought yeah she's going to get to display 15 of her paintings the catch there is is she has to create 15 brand new paintings in a very short amount of time. The teacher tells her it's going to be very challenging. And someone who's not an art student, I'm like, oh yeah, let's whip out 15 paintings. Here's a bush. There's a vase of water. But I don't know. A vase of water? Well, yeah, because it's artsy because there's no flowers in it. So it's like, it's, it's artsy. (laughs) Okay. It's like, (laughs) it's artsy. (laughs) We have a vase of water, but no flowers. What does that mean? It's a comment on society. Then we find out that she <laughs> is going to be house-sitting for these people. There's this beautiful house. They're going to be in Washington for a year, and she's going to be taking care of their place. So I assume that they'll probably be paying her for this. Plus, she also gets to live in a really nice place. Really nice house. Huge house. All to herself. They have this 
for whatever reason, this fancy rosebush thing that lives in this glass case. Like Beauty and the Beast style under a glass dome. Because it would die in the climate there. It has to be temperature controlled and all this stuff. It was a wedding present. See, this is why I wasn't born French, because whoever created us knew that I would not be able to take care of something that precious. And then we go to a party. Well, wait, because she's unpacking when she gets to the house, right? Yes. And something that the teacher had said once she told Angelique that she had won the scholarship is, your father would be proud. And so that immediately piqued my interest and it got me thinking, well, who's your dad? What does your dad do? And I don't know that we ever get a lot of answer on who the dad was, but then when she's unpacking, she has this picture and I'm assuming it's probably her father. That's what I'm led to believe. It's a man. I think he is visibly an artist. Yes. Visibly a painter. And she's putting that in her room as she unpacks. And she has one suitcase. She's going to be there for a year. She must have already done the Marie Kondo Kamari method. She's also a poor student. My feeling is that she probably has some kind of housing or something, and she probably doesn't have to bring everything. Oh, okay. See, my thought was that this was all she owns. I mean, that's very, that would be very poetic, wouldn't it? Because it also made me wonder where she was living before this. I assume some kind of student housing or with her friend that we'll meet later on, because her friend seems to get called a lot when Angelique needs something. So. Yes. She goes to the bar where she works and tells her friend Heloise that she has won the scholarship. And Heloise's little sister is there. And she says, why are you here? And she said, mom's gone again. Mm -hmm. So her older sister's taking care of her. And this is where we also find out that her friend is a little handsy with the cash drawer at work. Yeah, she's got a case of sticky fingers and just sticks to that money and just accidentally pulls it out of the till. And ends up in her pocket somehow. Whoops. We also find out that her friend dates a lot. There's a new guy in there, Angelique, and the little sister are talking about if they're going to go on a date, and they say, and she tells her yes. So she steals the money. She's going on a date. She's using the money to buy sneakers for her little sister. So little sister asks if she'd be able to watch her that night, and she says no, that she's going to go see Luigi. She gets all dressed up and goes to this fancy party with all these doctors, and they're telling all these doctor stories yes and everybody's laughing and her friend david is there and this is the first time that we meet him he's talking to her about how Luik shouldn't leave her alone that it was dangerous because mm-hmm. she looked so good that night and yes david is in love with angelique but she only has eyes for Luik. david is just still there holding on If there's ever a flicker that it might work out, he'll be there. And she tells him that it's awkward that she can't be around him too much because all the doctors there know Luik's wife. Yeah, Luik is married. But I also find the friend, the friend David, I use my air quotes, he's, the only reason he disapproves of any of this is because he's in love with Angelique. He doesn't care about the fact that Luik is married or that he has a wife. It's selfish and... He just, he hangs around her obsessively. We'll come back to this later, but I want, I want you, dear listener, to think about that because he's always there. As, as we go through this plot and we go through the proceedings, he's always there to disagree with Angelique anything regarding Luik. He takes things way too far. So I find that very interesting and it's something I want to touch on later. 
Okay. So Luik drives her home, and they're just smiling at each other. Yeah, because they because at one point, because she's in the main ballroom with everybody, and then she disappears up this little corridor into this bathroom, and Luik goes in there as well. We don't know what's going on there, but we assume it's a lovers meeting. And David goes up, and Luik is walking out, and Angelique's walking out, and she's just got this big grin plastered on her face. We we don't know what has transpired, but I'm sure something has. And then she leaves with him. And then the next scene is him in the park with a little boy. And she's sitting on the grass nearby sketching him. And everybody smiles and laughter and happiness. She calls up in the middle of the night her friend Heloise and says that she needs help delivering Luke's birthday present. And so they carry this giant painting on Heloise's moped and drop it off at his office. It's a lot. Yeah. She's going above and beyond. And we've seen Luik at a glance, at a distance. We've seen very little of him at this point. And we just see Angelique doing the absolute most. At this point in the film, I'm already thinking this girl is doing everything in this relationship. He's just kind of sitting back and she's the one keeping everything going and showering him with gifts. And you just don't see him doing that for her. And she said that she's going to see him that night for his birthday. She gets all dressed up, and she's sitting on the couch waiting, and he doesn't show up, and he doesn't show up, and he doesn't show up. And he never shows up. And so at this point, we are hating him. Because all we've seen is her being so sweet and sending him flowers and creating an art piece for him and just changing her entire life to fit into his. And then he stands her up. He stands her up. And there's these wonderful shots that I love. It's her lying on her side in bed and she's crying. We see a flashback to their first meeting. And then we see him in bed lying on his side. So it's like mirroring shots. Mm -hmm. And both of them don't look particularly happy. No. And then we see his wife sleeping next to him. And she's unconscious. Yes. Because she's asleep. (laughs) <laughs> but in this, in their first meeting, it's a close-up on his face and her face, and he hands her this pink rose. It's incredibly romantic. It's the same type of rose that she had delivered to him. So we see why that was so significant to her to send that. And he was so happy when the rose was delivered to oh, his yeah, office. Oh, yeah, because we, so we did see him before the party. So that's the first time we see Luik is when... The flower is delivered to his office, and he smells it, and he smiles, reads the little note, and it's all very nice. At this point, you're kind of wondering, what's happening here? You kind of hate him a lot. Oh, yeah, for sure. And so she is out with her friend, and she finds out that because of all the stuff that's been going on with her friend's mom, she is trying to get custody of her little sister. They pass a key shop, and so she runs in and has a set of keys to her placemate. By some happy circumstance, she happens to see Luik walking down the road. She grabs the keys and she's going to run and give them to him. Yeah, because that's who she was making the keys for. He walks up to his very pregnant wife. And so Heloise is like, what's going on here? She's pregnant. Very pregnant. So you then realize when you see that, where you are at in the film, you go, okay, that's why he didn't show up. His wife's pregnant. So he's just going to ghost her. And so she takes a marker and 
writes a message on his car window that says, don't let her keep us apart. That's such a French thing. American women would not write that. We would write something very, very different. Yeah. So I just think it's so, it's like even when a French woman writes on a car, it's poetry. Eloise is talking to her and saying he's not going to leave his wife for you. You're a poor student. She's a pregnant lawyer. This isn't going to happen. Get over it. And I love what she says. She said, Angelique says she flaunts her fat belly. I do too. I'm not pregnant. I just had a good lunch. Your burrito baby. My, my quiche baby. So she decides to stay that night with Heloise, even though she says, well, what if he stops by? And Heloise says, well, serves him right for standing you up. Yeah, and I think Heloise honestly has a very healthy outlook on the whole thing because she's not mad at the wife. Why would you be mad at the wife? You know, but I mean, Angelique is very mad and calling her fat. And I think she calls her a cow at some point. Maybe not. I feel like she, but she meant it. It's like she's being very derogatory to this woman and her and her appearance and her size. And Heloise kind of like, what do you expect? You're the other woman. And this is a woman that he's been married to and has a child. I, and I appreciate Heloise in that moment because her outlook was correct, in my opinion. And so Angelique's telling her little sister a story about how she wanted to have a cat when she was a oh, kid. Oh, Hel- Heloise's sister. Yeah, Heloise's sister. About how she wanted to have a cat, but her dad said that she couldn't have one because its hair would get into his paintings. Ah, that's when we found out, find out the dad's an artist. She tells her that she made a cat, that she made it out of wool and thread and buttons, and she took um, pieces of rice for its claws, and she named it Mr. Cat. And everybody said how neat it was that she made this collage and she said to me it was just Mr. Cat. It was my cat. And she would stroke it, pet it when she was sad. Yeah, so it was it was her friend. She didn't see it as a piece of art or as an inanimate object. She saw it as a living breathing friend. And so it makes me wonder if she was a very lonely child, you mm-hmm. know, because it appears that maybe it was just her and her dad, mm-hmm. no pets, no siblings. Well, she had with Mr. Cat. She had to make her own friends. And the next morning, she's just gone. Heloise asks her little sister where she went. She said, she went off on her moped. She'll bring it back to you at the bar. Heloise gets to the bar, works two hours of a shift that Angelique is late for, only to have Angelique show up. The moped is totaled. It has a huge crushed portion of it in the in the front, I believe. Angelique's arm is all bloody. Is the boss at the bar concerned absolutely not he just is more concerned about the fact that he's down a waitress he doesn't care that this woman's walking in with her arm bloodied yeah he goes great it's her dominant arm i need a new waitress it's like what a jerk also heloise told him that she was working really hard on her paintings and he goes i'm not a patron of the arts well i mean that's that's fair let let him know where you're at not in the slightest concerned about angelique at all beyond what she can do for him yeah so david patches her up and there's a scarf Yep, there he is david's there there's a scarf laying across the back of her sofa and he grabs it and makes it a sling for her and she's smiling and he says what and she says nothing and he goes it's luke's isn't it and she goes yes and so he gets all pissy and starts throwing his medical stuff in a bag and he goes well he can change your bandage next time tell him i used cleansing gel What a petty bitch. Yeah. Because it's like, okay, this girl, who's a pretty awesome girl that we've seen so far, and doesn't maybe love you that way, and you're 
punishing her for it because you're such a baby. It's like if you can't handle being friends or being around a woman that you're in love with that doesn't reciprocate, then you need to end the relationship and leave. Stop punishing her because of your feelings. And so he said, did you hear about Luik? And she says they couldn't save the baby. So we find out that he's lost the baby. Which I feel like she's probably not too sad about. She's not very sad about. I don't think she's like jumping up and down happy. But she's basically looking at, at this as this is my chance. This is my end. Let me, let me figure out how to work this. And David tells her don't believe in him. And she says, who else can I believe in? And David says, me. And she's like, that's nice. I don't remember what she says, but it's kind of just like, "Ah." well, she tells David that he said that he, that Luik said he's going to take her to Florence. Mm. And there we see Luik and his wife, they have a big fight and she's got the keys that Angelique made him to her place. Mm -hmm. And his wife storms out and she's so happy. She goes over to Heloise's and tells her that the wife left. It's over and they're going to Florence for a week. They already have the tickets, but we still have not seen her and Luik interact at this point. The only time we've seen them together has been in a flashback and in the car, but we still have not seen them physically speak to each other, which seemed odd. But it does look like everything's working on Angelique's favor. The baby that was in her eyes tying him to this woman is no longer there. The wife finds the keys that she made for Luik. So it seems like there's really no obstacles for Luik to be with Angelique. It doesn't seem like there are any obstacles for them to be together anymore. It kind of seems like this trip is going to be a very important first step for them. So she goes to the airport and she waits and she waits and she calls his house and she waits and no one's at the house. It's completely, it's very empty. We've had a shot of him sitting there thinking Mm -hmm. and then he gets up and he leaves. Oh yeah, that's right. And he's driving and he goes and he knocks on a door and his wife answers. He's going to patch things up. They're going to work it out. Meanwhile, Angelique is sitting in this French airport stewing. She is completely rejected. Probably the lowest point she's been at this point in the movie. And it's very much reflected in the atmosphere. It's a completely deserted airport. There's one person cleaning. It's a very stark environment that it doesn't seem very warm and inviting. And then in the windows outside, you can see lightning. It just, it feels very uncomfortable. It feels very lonely and it feels like something dangerous is on the horizon. And so she's walking home and she walks across this bridge and she puts her suitcase up on the ledge and pushes it off into the river. That was the final step of the KonMari method. She let it go. They didn't spark joy anymore. (laughs) She was starting her new life. We get home and the rosebush is dead. The Beauty and the Beast climate sensitive rosebush is no more. We see the little blossoms falling off of it and it withers. Which also seems very tied to the progression of the story too because now Angelique is starting to unravel a little bit. Everything's kind of falling apart. So it seems very fitting that this rosebush that represents love is literally crumbling and dying. She's laying on the couch with this blue scarf of Luik's around her neck. Just sniffing it. And every plant in the house is dead. Or dying. There's trash. Food. It's just, it's a wreck. It looks like my house looked the week between Christmas and New Year's when I refused to do anything and also got sick. It was bad. 
And so she goes and she's in this park staring out through the window of his office. Just looking at him. So now I start, or a viewer may start worrying, that things are about to turn a little dark. Because it started out very light and airy and sweet and gave you all the feels. And now it seems like it's turning a little a little ominous. Because she's completely morose and sad standing in a park with this very scary jagged looking fence it looks very cumbersome looking fence and between the bars she's looking through a window at Luik. she starts running she just takes back and, and forth well because he's walking i think and so she's running to keep up with him so she can keep eyes on him but my thing is if he's not running why are you running but she's she is running and then we see her break down. She's ripping this wedding dress up. She's just which is not her wedding dress because oh, that's the thing. Because uh, in an earlier scene, we had seen her trying on a wedding dress, and then you realize it's the woman she's house sitting for. It's her wedding dress. So she's ripping up this woman's wedding dress. I made the joke that she was doing arts and crafts, but <laughs> and she's destroying her art. She's painting over all of her paintings with huge black because all of her paintings are of Louis. Yes. And she literally takes the rose bush and rips it up. Like, takes the little dome off of the top, grabs it with her fist, and just pulls it right out, root and all. Love's really dead. Yeah. So Heloise goes to David and says that Angelique doesn't think that Louis has broken up with her. He, She thinks that he's testing her. Which any rational thinking person is going to see that as the warning signs of someone who is not quite thinking clearly what's the fallout after heloise tells david david goes to luik's office <gasps> he makes an appointment with them so he brings david into his office kind of like what's wrong with you um fittingly he's a cardiologist i i think that's with all the heart and broken heart references seems very fitting that this dude's a cardiologist david starts saying oh i'm fine but my friend, a very wonderful girl, is not fine because of you. You're ruining her career. And Luik's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that she didn't understand what's going on. But I have nothing to say to her. Oh, yeah. He was super callous with David. Very much only concerned about getting him out of the office. And didn't really care what he was talking about. And so David calls him a creep and a coward. And he's like, yes, yes, fine. Get out. Then doesn't he pull a keyboard or a monitor? He knocks a bunch of files off the okay. desk in a very juvenile movement. Oh, yeah. It seemed very much like, throw things. Angelique comes to David and she said, I need your help. I want to make one last present for Louis and then I'm done. It's over. I won't let him destroy me. And so he says it's impossible, but I'll try. So then he brings her the thing that she wanted and that's when he discovers that she sold the table the dining room table oh yeah because she has all the goods in the house kind of laid out on this tablecloth where the dining room table was because she sold it yeah there's just stuff everywhere she's pulled all of the dishes out of the cabinets all the dishes jewelry anything of value is kind of laid on this tablecloth and she's like oh i can just buy the table back i pawned it so she has she has a plan for all of this, apparently. And she's sitting there that night. She's got this box cutter and she's shredding the scarf. And she sees on the news that one of Luik's patients has accused him of assault. 
charges are being filed against him. Mm-hmm. And she says, you bitch. So you're kind of worried about Angelique's mental state at this point, And you're a little worried for this woman that's accusing Louis of assault. And the next morning, Heloise hears this on the radio that the woman who accused him of assault was found dead. Didn't they say, like, oh, she died of a heart attack or something? Yes. But it seems suspicious. Yes. So yeah. she rushes over to Angelique's house and... Angelique has this big scrape across her cheek, and she Mm -hmm. says, oh, I fell down the stairs. Again, the place is a wreck. It's trash. She said, did you do it? Did he ask you to do it? And she said, no, no, no. I went to talk to her. Well, because the police come while Heloise is there, and Angelique looks at Heloise and was like, oh, she was here, right, Heloise? And puts her right on the spot. So Heloise kind of has, well, she doesn't kind of, she lies to the police on Angelique's behalf, and then she's like, you did it. And Angelique also said that Louis called her at 10 o'clock that night. Yes. It's all of these things. And Heloise, doesn't Heloise say something? She said, we need to go to the police. We need to tell them what happened. And she said, let's go together. I'll tell them about how you steal money at work. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be great, your little sister in a foster home? And she says, you wouldn't. And she said, nobody is going to come between me and Louis. If I were in Heloise's shoes at this point, this is when I get the heck out of Dodge. And I think that's exactly what she does because she realizes that Angelique is not stable and that she's willing to take down anybody to ensure that her and Louis end up together. Angelique also says that she stole things from this woman's apartment so that it would look like a burglary. Yes. Everything's fixed. It's fine. She runs to Louis's office. And he's being arrested. And his wife comes running up and she says, I'm his lawyer. Kisses him passionately like all lawyers kiss their clients. (laughs) And Angelique is just standing back watching this and you see in her face it's it's just over. Yeah. So she goes home, turns on all the gas burners on the stove and lays down in the kitchen. And this is the house that she's sitting for. So she, she goes back, turns the oven on, opens the door and lays down to die. And now is the time when the film stops and starts rewinding. It goes back and you see flashes of everything that's just happened. And it's all being rewound until you end up at the scene in front of the flower shop where the delivery driver and Angelique are about to take off in separate directions. And instead of following Angelique this time, you follow the the delivery driver who goes to Louis's office. So he delivers the flower to Louis. He reads the note and we see what it says. It says, my heart is yours forever. He tells his patient that the rose is from his wife, which is why he was so happy to get it. The patient is Sonia, the woman who later will accuse him of assault. And she says that she's having all these heart problems and he tells her that you just need to take your medicine. And she goes, no, no, you need to examine me. So she just rips her shirt off. And she's not wearing a bra or anything. So he's, you get the feeling that maybe it's not the heart. That's, there might not be a problem. I think she just thinks that this man is very... You notice that a lot of his patients are female, older female. So there's kind of a theme. So maybe her heart problems aren't the problem. Maybe Sonia just needs to show her titties to somebody. I don't know. <laughs> that does not sound good. Oh. <laughs> But doesn't he even tell her he's like, it's the like the last 20 times or the last 10 times you've come to see me. Nothing's wrong. Just take your medicine. So it kind of sets the stage for the fact that she kind of is she harassing comes to, him. Yeah, she comes to see him a lot. And every time 
it's right off with the shirt. Yeah, top off. I, so can't, he, I can't wait to see you edit that, by the way. So he goes home, and he has the rose, and his wife goes, oh, how lovely, thank you. So obviously, it's not from her. Does he, he's confused now. Yeah, he's confused, because it's got this note saying, my heart is yours forever. But he's like, okay, we're just gonna not worry about this right now. So he asks her again, are you sure you don't want to go to the party? And she goes, no, I'm just gonna stay here. And so he, he rubs her her belly and says i'm gonna miss both of you she says she's gonna be a grandma and go to bed with a glass of warm milk or something and honestly same i kind of want to do that he's at the party and we see the bathroom scene now he goes first so we see louis go up to the bathroom and he has one of his colleagues because he's kind of talking and chatting with some people and he has one of them hold his drink and he goes up to go to the bathroom and then we see angelique see him and follow him up and so she's just in he goes into a stall to do whatever. <coughs> she's at the sink and she's primping and putting on makeup and just making sure she just looks just right. And he walks out and he doesn't even look at her and he's washing his hands and she's just maniacally staring at him with this smile just plastered on her face. And he's like, hi. He says, have we met? That's what it is. Because she's just staring at him. And he goes, he says, like, hello, have we, have we met? And what does she say? She says, I'm house-sitting. And she says the name of the people. Oh, yeah, and he knew the people. He gets ready to leave the party, and he sees her standing out in front of the building. So he says, do you want to ride home? And so, sure, she gets in the car, and this is the scene where they're just smiling at each other. They get home, she walks to her house, and he walks to his. She's house-sitting next door to him. Yeah. And so the scene that we had previously seen from her perspective of them smiling at each other very knowingly and glances and all of these things are edited completely differently. And it is literally two people, two strangers in a car together. She's just staring at him like he's the most incredible thing she's ever seen. And he's eyes on the road, not even really looking at her. He looks over every once in a while and kind of awkwardly smiles at her because she's just staring at him. You are so confused as a viewer when you get here and all this is happening. You're like, wait, wait, how do they not know each other? Why would she think these things? Yeah, so when do they start having the affair? When is that happening? Did it just start later? What's the deal? It was so confusing. You did not know what was happening. So he's going out with his wife and she accidentally drops this blue scarf in the driveway. It's the next scene at the park where he's playing with the kid and the scarf is the same scarf that you see Angelique using as her sling. Yes. So he didn't give it to her. He didn't leave it. It was left in the yard and she probably picked, picked it up. up. Yeah. And the scene at the park, he is there with his friends and his wife. And the kid's not his. The kid is his friend's. And he's helping him ride the bike. And she leaves these drawings for him on the bench. Because you see, him, see her at the park sketching and you think, oh, that's cute. Like she, he's playing around and she's sketching him because art. And no, she was purely on her own stalking him, leaving the pictures for him because he gets freaked out. And then the kid is missing. Yeah, he cannot find the kid. It turns out he's just peeing behind a tree. But after finding these, these sketches of him that someone just left on a bench, he assumes the worst. So he's starting to get really suspicious of what's happening because there's too many variables happening. 
And then when this birthday painting shows up, which we find out is a huge collage of, of him. him. And there's no note. There's no name. And there's he's nothing. He's wearing the blue scarf. And his wife comes in and says, where did you get that? And he lies and said, oh, it was a patient who was really thankful for how I helped them. Yeah. And then she doesn't she want to take it home? Yeah. So she takes it off the wall. Yeah, but it, in what seemed like warped time speed, it is wrapped in brown paper by this pregnant woman. And she like picks it up and is like, we're taking this home. I'm like, where did you get the brown paper to wrap this painting up with? She wants to hang it in the living room. It seems a little weird because it kind of looks like a saint portrait that you would see in the church almost. So, and it's like, I love my husband, but I don't necessarily want a picture like that of him hanging in my, in my house. And so things just start escalating really quickly yeah. here. We find out from him talking to his friend that he's never cheated on his wife, but he did have a one-night stand the night before his wedding. So is it this person? He doesn't think so. He takes these notes that he's gotten, and he's comparing it to the receptionist's handwriting in his date book. He pulls out checks from his patients to see if any of the handwriting matches, because he has no idea who this could be. Yeah, and it's really, as it would anybody, it's starting to really bother him. He finally has to tell his wife because she hangs the painting up, and while she's doing this, she finds a note on the back that says, oh, it says, happy birthday, my love, on the back. So she's like, what is this? And there's a note with it that says, thanks for the gift, and something about the day you declared your love for me. Mm-hmm. And of course, the wife is not happy as She's anybody would furious. be. And so he tells her about what's been going on and says, You have to trust me. And she said, It's hard. Which, in the face of that, I can understand. Yeah, she doesn't believe him and she thinks that he's carrying on this affair and denying it. And he gets home one day and there's 23 messages on the answering machine, all of the song. Oh, L O V E by uh, Nat King Cole. Yeah. Which was also featured in the credits in the beginning because you're like, oh, what a sweet, because you really believe it's going to be this really sweet French romantic comedy or something to that effect. But now it's just taking on a whole different meaning from his perspective. This is the day where she's getting the keys made. She sees him down the street and he's talking to his wife. His wife asks him, do you even want this baby? We read the look on his face as how can you even ask me that? But he doesn't answer, and so she just walks away. Which, I don't know. If that were me in that situation, I feel like I wouldn't just take speechlessness. I'd wait there and go, okay. Yeah, I I got all day. I I really do. But she had to go meet a client, so. That's true. And that's the thing, too, and that's what I like. It's like, she's pregnant. She has this husband that she thinks is having an affair. But she's not letting it affect her job. She's not sitting there being like, oh, but what if he is? She basically takes the stance of, this is happening, either you can stay here or you cannot, I got a client, peace. So the next thing that we find out is the receptionist is awful. She schedules a patient on the day that he's not in the office. So the patient is furious because she's been there since 9 o'clock and it's now noon. No one was in the office except the receptionist because she scheduled the wrong person. And she goes, oh, it's only, I've only been here six months. I'm new to this. So this receptionist is just messing things up for him schedule-wise left and right. And her name is Anita. He's going to fire her because of all the inaccuracies and all the problems that she's caused. And she 
begs him for one more chance. Please, I need this job. And he tells her, one more screw up and you are gone. And he hears L-O-V-E playing from a room. So he's like, oh, crap. So he goes in because he thinks he's going to find the the culprit who's been sending him all these things and causing all these problems. And it's a male massage therapist working on a client. So he thinks that this guy is in love with him and is sending him notes. And so he brings it to his friend. I think the friend is also a colleague. And he's like, well, it obviously can't be this guy because it's a dude and it says it's from a lady, which I'm just like, you are a detective, sir. Bring everything to you. Nothing gets by you. That's what my mom kept saying while we were watching this today. She was like, he's not a very good detective. He is not picking up on any of these clues. Yeah, because it's just like, of course a man couldn't present as, like, present himself as a woman in a letter to fool someone. It's like, that's a whole different story, but that's not what's happening here. And like you said, this is when he gets the phone call and Raquel is in the hospital. There was an accident. And he finds out that she lost the baby and he is just devastated. She got hit by a moped. A moped. And the driver fled. Yes. So hit and run. Right after this is where Angelique puts the keys to her place under their front door. Mm -hmm. And his wife finds them. And of course there's a big fight and she leaves. It's the same fight that you see happening when you think that all of these obstacles are kind of clearing out of the way so that Angelique and Louis can be together. And of course, he doesn't know what these keys are for or where they came he from He has or no anything. clue. He's devastated at the loss of his child. His marriage is crumbling. And now his wife is, is literally leaving the house because and she can't stand to be around him. He's at his office. He looks like a wreck. And this big bouquet of roses shows up. And he tells the receptionist, get rid of them. I don't want any more gifts. Mm -hmm. And then there's a phone call saying that a patient's file didn't get sent to the hospital. They had to postpone his surgery. And he's at the end of his ropes. He is, you can kind of see him crumbling. Just everything terrible that can happen to a person has happened to this man. And he looks at Anita, last straw, fired, out, gone. And he, he does find the file. She didn't send it. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't do this. And just making every excuse she can. and But she's fired. Yes. And she's sitting on the bus, you know, crying because she got fired with this bouquet of roses. And she sees a note and she takes it out. And there's the plane ticket to Florence. And Anita sees it and goes, well, he just lost his trip to Florence. So girl's going to Florence to um, lick her wounds. And so when David shows up at his office and is saying, you ruined this girl's career. After he leaves, they ask, oh, who was that? And he goes, oh, that must have been Anita's boyfriend. So, so that's why he didn't question who David was. He just assumed he was there yelling at him because he fired Anita. Yeah, and, and that's what also why he came across kind of callous because he's just thinking, oh, she just lost her job. It's not a career. She can find another job. Plus, she was a terrible receptionist. Yeah, so he didn't feel that bad. So that explains. So it's. It's like, as these things keep happening, you're like, oh my God, this was all by happenstance that this was happening. His life is literally crumbling and he's aiding it and he doesn't even know it. All of these things are happening. And because it's been shown to you in one perspective and now you're seeing it in in reality, it is dumbfounding. So the last present arrives and it is a heart with an arrow through it. 
not a painting of a heart. It is an actual human heart. This is what Angelique asked David to get for her, and he did. Yeah, all these people really, someone needs to talk to them. Because you should not be stealing human hearts for the girl that you're in love with. This is some Edgar Allan Poe shit. It, it's, it's not acceptable nowadays. So at that time, Sonia walks in, and while he's having a meltdown, she's like trying to take her top off and rub his shoulders and whatever else she's trying. I may be, I may be um, exaggerating exa- a bit, but yeah, like she's semi like taking off her top and trying to give him a massage. But she just sees him and he's so distraught and she's trying to comfort him. He thinks that she's the one doing it. And, and she's coming on to him at that point. And he freaks out and starts shaking her and slaps her. So he did assault her. He did assault her and he should definitely be in trouble for that. But it's like all of these things led to that point. And it's like, why would you? I just don't understand why he would slap her. Like, even if you're at that point, my thought is if you're a rational person and maybe he wasn't at that point, you would think. Even if you had the inkling or the feeling like, you, I want to hit this person, you would realize, hey, all this other crap is happening to me. I don't need to add to it. Yeah. So all of his patients start canceling. He's under suspicion. She's saying, I'm very influential. I'm going to get him thrown off the medical board. I'm going to end his career. Yeah. He'll never work in this town again. You'll never listen to a hot in this town again. So he shows up for work the next day, and the cops are there to arrest him because she's dead. And now she has died of a heart attack under mysterious circumstances. He is prime suspect. Yeah. So we have the scene with his wife kissing him, Angelique seeing it. But now the scene looks totally different because she comes up and because they hadn't spoken, because she had left the house and she wasn't there anymore, it really was a, a huge moment of reconciliation. So it had a, the, me, the moment had a lot more meaning than what you originally thought. And it makes you feel better for him. Even though he actually did assault a woman and he should be prosecuted for that, he didn't murder her. Right. So it's good to see that his wife is coming back and trying to help him. They're at the police station and they're going over, you know, where were you? You were home alone last night. And his wife goes, no, I was with him all night. So she lies too. But I guess in this way, it's for the right reasons. But I don't think that lying is ever the right for the right And with the corroborating lie that Angelique told, where she said she didn't see anything, he gets off. Yes. So he he is cleared of any charges and is is free to go. So his wife comes back home and... They reconcile. They're back together. An ambulance pulls up. Angelique has turned on the gas. Oh, and there was another point. I'm sorry. This This is going back a little bit, but there was a time... And it's when um, she stayed, when Angelique stays over at Heloise's house and Heloise is like, well, make him, make him chase you a little bit. Don't let him know, or like, don't be at home. Don't just be ready to greet him whenever he decides to show up. Just do your own thing and make him work for it. And then it cuts to the scene of Louis outside of Angelique's house, like looking through the window. And what we realized was, and I think this was a little farther back, but I just felt like this was important to say. And what we realized... He was trying to get milk for his wife because she wanted a glass of milk and they had run out. So he knocked on the neighbor's door to see if they had milk. So that's why it looked that way. But it wasn't It wasn't what you thought. Yeah. And you're just like, what the hell? Going back to what Lara said, they're, they're in bed asleep and he sees the ambulance lights and he runs out because he's a doctor. And he does CPR. on Because it's Angelique. They bring her out and they're like, she's barely hanging on. She's almost dead. 
And he's like, I think maybe she was actually dead at that point. She wasn't breathing. She wasn't breathing and unresponsive. And so he immediately administers CPR. And what do you know? Brings her back to life. What are the first things her little delusional eyes see, but the focus of her delusion? And so he rides in the ambulance with her. He keeps checking up on her to make sure that she's okay. And he asks her, have you, has your family been notified? And she said, I don't have any family. And he says, don't you have anyone? And she says, I have no one. David has been coming to visit her too. And he sees Luik in the hallway and proceeds to punch him. Yeah. Oh, and when she's finally coming to, she's like, he, he, he breathed life into me. He held me in his arm. He put his mouth against my mouth and breathed life. It's like, you don't even know what you just did, dude. <laughs> you have not helped yourself. And so she's told David that it's for real this time. She know he knows, uh, Luik knows that he made some mistakes, but that they're really going to be together now. And of course, you know that this is all complete nonsense. No, but this is what she's believing in her, in her mind now as a result of him being there and being the first person she saw when she came to. So Luik is laying in bed that night and he keeps thinking about these things. The, the young man who was in his office that he thought was Anita's boyfriend punching him in the hospital. That's weird. Just randomly being in the hospital to attack him. And this thing that Angelique said, where I have no one. So he gets up and he goes and he starts looking through this file cabinet of all these letters that she sent him. And there's a lot. Mm -hmm. And there's one where it says, I have no one. So his spidey senses are tingling at this point. And the next day he rushes to the hospital and she's gone. We find out that David checked her out and, and is taking her to the country to see his family. Of course, Luik's life is in shambles. It's a wreck. So he's going to, they're going to move. When he was thinking about all of that and he read the note, he sees the key. He grabs the key. He just has a hunch. He goes over to the house Angelique, where, that Angelique was house-sitting for, puts it into the door or to the keyhole, and it works. And it unlocks the door. And he walks in. He sees the house completely in disarray. He goes up. He sees a, he sees just random bits of his life just like strewn about this house and then he walks into this room and she has made a collage of him on the wall and he looks into the breast pocket of the collage because it's of him in a suit and in the breast pocket of the suit is a dried rose and he has a flashback to his office and he's with a patient he gets a call and it's his wife he puts the phone back on the receiver and he tells his client, I'm going to be a dad or I'm going to be a papa, whatever he says. And he's found, he's found out his wife's pregnant. So he goes to the floors. He buys a huge bouquet of pink roses. And he goes home. And as he's walking to the front door, Angelique's leaving the house because I guess she had been there meeting with the people she was going to sit for. And she's getting on her bike and he says, hello. And she says, hello. And he goes to, to the sidewalk and starts to walk to his house. And at the last moment, he turns around, turns back to her takes a rose out of the bouquet, hands it to her and goes, this is for you. And she, you just see the look on her face and it's all the wide shot at this point. And, but you can see her face and she is just so touched by this rose. And he walks in and he realizes that that one choice that he almost didn't make is what spurned all of this on. 
And then he's packing up his office. Yes. <laughs> and he's packing up his office. And Angelique walks up the stairs. And she says, where are you going? And he tells her that he's leaving. And she said, aren't you going to take me with you? And he says no. no? To which her um, logical and immediate reaction is to pick up this heavy... The heaviest, nearest object. It's like a paperweight. Yeah. And to bash him on the back of the head. Which he promptly falls down the stairs. Which is a really cool shot, by the way, because the camera... Because it kind of stays focused on her, but the camera's moving down the stairs like if he was looking at her the whole time she he was falling at her. So it's moving. She's staying still, but it's moving down the stairs. So he's in the hospital. Yeah. He doesn't die. Um, she's arrested. And she goes into an institution that is going to help her. Yes. Because... And she is constantly trying to escape. It shows her... She's walking down a hallway with two attendants, and the second she thinks she can, she starts trying to make a run for it. But, of course, they catch her and sedate her, and so you think it's going to end there. But it doesn't. So, Luke, Oh, yeah, they give her electroshock therapy. They give her electroshock therapy. Luke finally wakes up, um, but he never quite recovers from this. He has to walk with a cane. But he does have two kids, and they seem very happy. And she has this lovely monologue where she's talking to her doctor saying how she understands what she's been through and that everybody dreams of a great love affair but that she just dreamt harder Mm -hmm. and he tells her how proud he is of her that she's ready to go back out into the world and he's proud of all the work she's done over the years being at this institution yes and to make sure that she keeps taking her medicine and she'll be fine and so she has her suitcase, and she walks out. And, and she's free again. She's free. The maintenance man goes in to start, I guess, taking care of her room. And he moves this wardrobe thing, and behind it is a collage of Luik, made out of all her pills that she was supposed to have taken. So this leads the viewers to believe that Angelique never took any of her medication and still has the same feeling that she had before, only now she's learned how to hide it. And the movie ends with a quote, Though my love is insane, my reason calms the pain in my heart. It tells me to keep patient and keep hoping. And that was from an erotomaniac who was confined for 50 years. So this is the condition that we learn at the end of the movie that Angelique was suffering from. And it is a delusional disorder. So it is defined as a delusional disorder in which a person, typically a woman, believes that another person, person is usually of a higher social status, is in love with them. Even if there's no reason to believe this. Yeah, and and like Laura said, usually it's a woman, but it can affect men. It normally affects women more. So one prominent case is, is John Hinckley Jr. who fell in love with Jodie Foster and was fixated on her and shot Ronald Reagan to prove his love because he thought that would impress her. There's several cases. There was a patient that was obsessed with the British monarch George V and thought he was communicating with him by moving the curtains in the palace. Yeah. Was that a woman or a man? I thought it was a woman. Oh, yes, that, that was a woman. There was a woman that stalked both David Letterman and an astronaut named Story Musgrave. There have been famous cases of this. So if you go actually research erotomania, you can actually find some really interesting cases. But at the end of the movie, from that quote, we realize that Angelique had been suffering with this disorder the entire time. So that was painting her perspective 
And that's what we saw first. So that's what we were led to. So that perspective, that deluded perspective was what we were led to believe was true. And only when we were shown Luigi's point of view, did we realize that all of this was in her head. So some of the earliest references to this condition can be found in the work of Hippocrates. Mm. For those of you with a little bit more knowledge in this field than me, it is listed as a DSM-5 as a subtype of a delusional disorder and is characterized as individual's delusions of another person being infatuated with them. The whole time in this movie, we see Angelique infatuated with Luke, but she believed it was reciprocated. She believed he was. So every little thing that happened by chance that was an interaction between him and her only strengthened that belief in her. This also says that the onset is commonly sudden and it is chronic. So it doesn't just clear up. So, and it and it's not to say that this couldn't be transferred to another person. Because if it's a chronic disorder, couldn't those attentions be put on someone else if something sudden were to happen again with someone else? This says the object of a obsession may also be imaginary, deceased, or someone the patient has never met. That, like, bringing back Mr. Cat in the beginning when she talks about making herself a friend, I, I wonder if that was an early symptom of this disorder for her it's like she she believed it was real and she loved mr cat like it was a real cat so i wonder if more people had been around if she had had more people in her life would they have seen that interesting but also he didn't have erotomania but david was very much much obsessed with angelique as angelique was obsessed with Luke because he was always there checking her out of the hospital early probably not the best thing for her to take her away because if he wasn't really really in love with her if you are really in love with someone you want what makes them happy and he and from her perspective and from the perspective she was giving him she was happy with the week even though it wasn't a perfect situation so he if he really loved her he would have backed off so he didn't love her he wanted to possess her yeah it was all about control because he kept saying well, this isn't good for you and this isn't good for you and you need to go to the country and meet my parents because that is good for you. It was it was about controlling her. So I just want to say that he sucks. Yeah, so Angelique isn't the villain in this because people that suffer with disorders are not villains. They, their brains work differently and they need help. The people who are villains are the ones who get their friends human hearts. Yeah, yeah. So if there's any real villain in the story, it's David. That dude is bad. Like, I, I don't, I, I could deal without him forever. And Luke isn't off the hook either because it's like he admits that he had a one night stand. And I wonder if the fact that that happened, I wonder if his wife knew about it. And that's what made it so hard to believe that he wasn't having an affair. He also did slap a patient. Yeah, he slapped a woman. This was a point that my mom brought up. Why didn't he ever go to the police and say, hey, somebody's stalking me? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, too. And I think we were talking a little bit about that before we started recording. And it kind of plays into the, well, if a man goes to the police and says, oh, this woman is sending me gifts and calling me. Even at two, in 2002, which wasn't that long ago, but I think mindsets were very, very different. And I don't know about France, like what the mindset would have been. But it kind of would have been like, so I'm, you're getting gifts and that's a problem you can't handle this woman yeah. what's up are you not a man so it would have been like this thing to emasculate him so he he didn't want his masculinity 
questioned or his pride was too big so he wouldn't go to the police and it's it, i wonder how differently the story would have played out if he had have gone and said something well we also forgot to mention that somebody died because of this no we mentioned it we just didn't talk about it a lot no i mean mention in the fact of consequences well of two this. people died the baby died uh, yes they lost the baby and that was a product of erotomania. And then Sonia died. And that was a product of that as well. Because she just happened to sue the wrong dude that had a stalker. So so some... Because that also explains... I'm sorry. That okay. also explains why she wasn't made to stay in the hospital longer. Because they didn't know she murdered Sonia. Some of the other movies and books and TV shows that talk about erotomania are Fatal Attraction, Enduring Love... This movie, Loves Me, Loves Me Not, there's an episode of Criminal Minds in season one and an episode of Orange is the New Black in season two that also focus on it. I just want to clarify and say this is all from a dramatized, over-exaggerated perspective. This isn't vilifying. This is, we're not mentioning these to vilify anyone that has erotomania or anything. It's a very serious disorder and it's not always, and things aren't always as they are perceived through dramatized TV and movies. So definitely take everything that is seen is seen if you watch these films with a grain of salt. Do your own research and don't don't judge someone for a disorder that they can't help. So a few reviews from this movie. Mick LaSalle in a review said the first feature from this 26 year old director represents about as assured a debut as they come. He said the first smart thing she did was cast Audrey Tattoo. And that her wide-eyed innocence that made her so lovable and Amelie works so well to make her kind of creepy in this other portrayal. Well, and also very unassuming because you would never assume Audrey Tattoo would be playing, quote-unquote, of uh, the bad guy. Or would be the cause of something bad happening in a film. And he also says that that she is emotionally present in every moment. And that's one mm -hmm. thing that I really loved about all of the acting in this. Everybody is in it. There's no characterizations. There's no over the top with it. They're all really living through this. Yes, absolutely. Now, one critic in the Evening Standard said that it was an irredeemably bad French film characters that are cartoon representations of good and evil and i i categorically disagree because i i bet you that was a man i i bet you a hundred bucks that was a man but there's no clear good and bad guy everyone does good and bad things some bad things just have higher consequences because david's a creep luke's an adulterer or not quite an adulterer because he, he had a one night stand before he got married but he's a cheater angelique is not a villain because she has a disorder. But she chooses to do bad things as a result of that. But I don't think there's I don't think there's representation a clear representation of good and evil. I think these are very well rounded characters that do good and bad things like a human does. So I disagree with that, and I'm saying that was a man. So what grade do you give this? I would give this film. I'm not going to give it an A. I don't feel like it it's worth an A, but I would probably give it a good solid B. Because I, I did find at times that it was a little confusing, not really knowing what it was about. I liked that it wasn't what it... I liked how it was kind of played up to be something that it wasn't. I enjoyed that. But the twist was a little confusing for me because you don't know what erotomania is until the very end. Having said that, it still 
kept me, I was really in it. I was completely focused on it. Very interesting. And the story was very well done, very well cast, and very well written, in my opinion. So yeah, I'm going to give that a, a B to a B plus. I give it an A. Okay. Or an A minus. B plus, A minus, yeah, almost the same Yeah, I mean, thing. almost the same thing. But yeah. But uh, fine, be different. That's cool. Because the first time I watched this, it just, I it took me off guard. I was like, whoa, whoa, wait, what? I loved it. And I've watched it three times since. And it still keeps bringing out new things. And I'm still amazed how the pieces fit together. Oh, yeah, it's completely compelling. Like I said, my husband has watched this twice in a week. And that is not a trait that he normally has. So it's it's definitely very compelling. There were just a few little things that maybe going back I would like to fix. But overall, very well done. A very fun alternative film to watch for Valentine's Day as well with that coming up. Does it pass the Bechtel test? Does it pass the Bechtel test? I mean, there are many female characters with names... But they talk about Luik a lot. But they do have a conversation about Heloise trying to get custody of her sister. Yeah, yeah. So it does pass. It does. It technically does pass. But I think, like we talked about in in previous episodes, the Bechdel test isn't like the end-all, be-all measure of a good film or whether a film has quality representation. But it is kind of funny to look back and think about it now. It's like, oh, huh, well, they did have one conversation that wasn't about Luik or about a man. So technically, yes, it does pass, but again, a lot of it was focused on, on 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 male characters. In this sense, I think because we were dealing with kind of a different circumstance, that doesn't bother me so much because it was told from a different perspective. It was it was told from a perspective of a woman, of a woman suffering with a disorder, it, and this would be a characteristic of that disorder. It does have more well-rounded female characters than mm-hmm. some movies who clearly pass the Bechdel test. Yes. So, yeah, I think, like, like we've said, it's not it's not the indication of a perfect film because it's by no means a perfect film. I do enjoy it, though. Yeah, it's definitely a fun one for this time of year. Oh, yeah, and especially if you like things a little twisted, that's fun. That's always good. What is your recommendation? I have one. I'm just not crazy because it's an all-male creative team that I'm looking at right now. It's a male director and male writer's. And it's, but it stars two women that I, and I like them both. It's called Ingrid Goes West. It came out a couple years ago, about about two years ago now. And um, it stars Aubrey Plaza and Elizabeth Olsen. And Aubrey Plaza, Plaza becomes obsessed with Elizabeth Olsen, who is the social media star, and tries to mirror her in every aspect, including moving across the country and to LA and becoming a social media star herself, dyeing her hair eating at different restaurants, doing things that she wouldn't do in order to gain the attention of this person. So I think that's another um, kind of film representation of erotomania. Also, just really fun to watch, kind of cringy at moments, but overall, really an interesting, interesting watch. It provides an excellent perspective on social media, the, the dark side of social media and what can happen there. And it really makes you question your social media choices and what you're choosing to share online. So my recommendation is Play Misty For Me, directed by Clint Eastwood. It was his directorial debut, starring Clint Eastwood, Jessica Walter, Donna Mills, and John Larch. Now, this was written by Jo Himes, who was a woman. 
she sadly passed away, but she was a creative partner of Clint Eastwood's for a while and Dean Reisner. So this is one of the first movies that really, really kind of focused on erotomania. And it is creepy and scary. And Jessica Walter is fantastic in it. Spoiler alert, she starts stalking him. And it's what? it's really, really good. I highly recommend it. Watch it at night, a rainy night if you can, with the lights off, and just have a fun time with it. Our person of interest for this episode is A. Schultz 2001. Thank you for tweeting out about our Women on the Run episode. And we're having another person of interest for this episode, Andy Wolverton. Thank you for your recommendation of things to do on our trip to San Francisco. Which is coming up very, very soon. We're excited to take Fatal Thems on the road because we'll probably have to record a podcast while we're there. So if you are going to be at the New York City Festival or if you're just in San Francisco, shoot us an email and say hi. Yeah, we'd love to connect with you and talk about all things Fatally Femme. Here's our clue for our next episode. Not everyone wants to be followed. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fatal Femmes. To keep up with us, please follow us on Twitter at Fatal underscore Femmes. Have a suggestion or comment for the show? Shoot us an email at fatalfemmespodcast at gmail.com. While you're at it, make sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. We hope you enjoyed today's episode because if you didn't, We'll find you. Thanks for listening.